0: What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well we're about to find out Join our host Ken Milam and John Swan as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is the hive Jive. This episode of the Hive Jive is brought to you by a redneck brother from another mother down under. Thank you Brett. Good day or afternoon or evening or whatever it is. Wherever you're hearing us from, huh?
1: I think that is uh apparently yes, you entered the live studio, but you are not a guest, but you're in the live studio. Okay, very cool. So Me or who? No, 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 no. Our, our, well, huh? our first Our <laughs> first guest is in there. They have uh they have entered the studio. So this is kind of fun. Yeah. So fun times. Okay, so we have a couple of people in here now. I'm going to say your name wrong because it's like five foot away from me and it all just looks like little white squiggles, but I think it's Muhatman is on there and uh, Will is on there and they're both there. (laughs) And Will thinks this is good. (laughs) Uh, He's waiting on his... (laughs) He's waiting on his kangaroo transport. (laughs) Uh, So... I completely just lost my train of thought. And there's Bretto. Bretto down under has entered the live studio. Hi <laughs> hey brother. How are you? He can't respond yet. Um, oh, okay. All right. Are you okay. ready for this? Yeah. Okay. Da-da-da. One, two, three. Howdy. Or wait. Hang Howdy on. Howdy, y'all. Appropriately. <laughs> G'day, mate.
0: Good <laughs> G'day, mate. How are you man. doing? Aaron? <laughs> Howdy, y'all. See, Hang we're all backwards. You nah, sound nah, like nah, you're from nah, Texas.
1: Nah.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's G'day, not G'day, a knife. <laughs> this
0: is a knife. <laughs> <laughs> I've
2: been waiting for that one. Hello, you yep. we, we are good. Apparently,
1: Ken's ready just to hit the ground running. Uh, so I saw your photo, and um, I will say that that is a light shade of red, but it is not a pink shirt. And if you ah. don't agree... I can send you a pink shirt.
2: <laughs> yeah, I want you to send me a pink shirt, and I want you to sign it, and then I can give it to my missus. <laughs> see what I did there? Yeah,
1: I do see what she did there, but I don't know that she would appreciate the signed shirt. She'd be like, okay, well, it's pink, I guess.
2: But <laughs> uh, She'd be pretty cool, she's a She's a good girl.
1: Well, that's good to hear. Um, so, uh, one of our other listeners said that you were coming in on a kangaroo transport. I'd like to see a picture of that.
2: A kangaroo transport. Yeah, that's why um, you no, were you late. And you were
1: you were waiting on uh, your kangaroo transport.
2: Hey, technically, I was ten fifty eight. I was early. Oh, you were early. <laughs> This is true. We
1: we started early because Ken has a lot of uh, tech tech solving <laughs> problems that need to be done every episode. So. I was oh,
2: yeah. actually sitting here waiting to press the button, and I was just laughing at Ken not being able to find the chat. So yeah,
1: Sorry yeah, mm-hmm. he did find it though. I mean, he he did actually I, find I, it. Well, so I had to, you had to what? Pick up your phone and look. <laughs>
2: oh,
1: no, I had to make sure I
0: could. Oh, well, yeah, okay. Well, it keeps fall It keeps going off. I don't have it on long enough. I guess.
2: Ah, uh, uh, you gotta adjust your timer on your screen display, don't you? Hell
0: I don't know how to do that. I have to get my wife, she does that. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: The brain the brains and the beauty of the operation, is she? Yeah, exactly. I'm the BS <laughs> part of it. Yeah, copy that.
1: Ken's consistent. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's his home life or his work life. He's the BS side. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I'm the BS
2: yeah. side. I provide the, the liberty. Yeah,
1: that's right. He gets paid for the BS.
2: Yep, absolutely.
1: So, well, Mr. Brett, you uh, apparently went out to the avocado orchard, and uh, I
2: did. I what did, did you we, find? I I finished work Wednesday night, and I drove all day Thursday and got home, and then went out Friday morning and went up to the farm. We've got um, some absolute monster hives up there and we've got some very weak and miserable looking little hives as well. I had um, one hive I nearly lost about a month ago had no food whatsoever and was down to a patch of brood there about the size of a banknote and uh, we rescued them and fed them with some honey from another hive up there and they're bouncing back now, they've got about five frames of brood, so they're looking good, but they're definitely not going to provide any honey or any, any useful help, but there they are. We've got a few other hives there that are now in a double deep setup, 10 frame, and they're coming along really, really well. Uh, we've got one monster hive there's in four double deeps. And it's a double deep brood box with a queen excluder on top of that. And they are, it's a funny, funny old season this year. The the trees didn't all flower at once. So I think the bees might've got a little bit sidetracked with where they were going and what they were getting. So we're definitely not going to get an amazing avocado honey flow. Uh, but it's providing a phenomenal amount of pollen
1: Ooh, well, that's good. Um, That'll help them brood up at least.
2: It Mm -hmm. is, but what they're doing, they're brooding up and they're storing pollen and they're becoming pollen bound.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm actually
2: having to go through and rearrange frames and remove the pollen up into the super or take it out altogether and make room and fresh frames and things for the queens down the bottom. Yeah. So it's really good for boosting my hives up and building the strength up but not so much the honey just yet.
1: So what is the normal bloom cycle and uh, time period for avocados?
2: Uh, Usually, well, it depends on the season, obviously, and the age of the trees can have a bit of an effect as well. But normally from what I can work out most times, it starts end of October, maybe towards the beginning of October. And finishes pretty much within a month. So right now we're pretty much at the end of the pollination. Um, the bees are pretty much just freeloaders now, living on whatever's in the rainforest around. So, yeah. you? Gotcha. Wow. It's, well, um, All very, very fast-paced, but yeah, that's really exciting too.
1: Yeah. I mean, at least you get a month though. That's uh, it's not as bad as some of the, some of the crops, you know, like down here, the, yeah. I think our, one of our worst ones is Tupelo. And cause Tupelo has a bloom period of like a week period. That's
2: it. Right. You know, and then wow. other ones
1: go for a few weeks and, and then you get up into the months and stuff like that. So it's not too bad.
2: Tupelo is where they harvest off barges, isn't it? In the olden days, yes, they they definitely did.
1: They'd put them on the barges, float them through the swamps when the bloom was coming, and that was how they got it. And that is uh, one of the reasons why it is such an expensive honey is because it's not easy to get to. It's a very short duration, and you've got to hit it just right.
2: Wow, that's crazy. You'd really have to have your hives on song before they went out for that.
1: Yeah, you've got to have them prepped. You also have to have comb that's already drawn and ready to go when you do a lot of that kind of stuff.
2: Absolutely. Because you
1: don't want them to waste all of that incoming nectar on building wax. You want them to be able to immediately pack it and store it.
2: Yeah, that's another problem I've had. Unlike Ken, I don't (laughs) have a supply of drawn cone, Ken. (laughs) Um, Yeah, mine have been drawing comb out to fill out what they needed Instead of storing honey, but you know, I'm okay with that because next year that just makes it even easier. That's
1: right. And yours, unlike Ken's, will be their own natural comb that has not been treated with God only knows what type of of noxious gases.
2: (laughs) Yeah, some of mine is. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Some of it is, yes. But you had boxes upon boxes and then you started complaining about them towards the end of the year. (laughs) You know, the Uh, bees cleaned all that up, they don't smell anymore. Really? Well, a year later, I'd hope amazing. not. No, they don't smell,
2: not at all. <laughs> did you ever work out what they may have been treated with?
1: No, uh, not no, what I think that... he insinuated is is my assumption. Yeah, um, it's, yeah it's because a nerve it did. Yeah, exactly. If it, if it was <laughs> if it was something that truly wasn't supposed to be harmful then it wouldn't yep. be a case where he has to open up the cargo container and let it air out for three days before they're even allowed to go in and remove them
2: and from the container. Ooh, and he still nasty. went in
0: with a uh, with, uh, gas mask. And so, oh, God. <laughs>
2: I yeah, think I would have been walking but, away uh, from that deal, but, yeah. But the yeah. wax moss wouldn't get in there. <laughs> well, that's a good point. That's a good yep. point some comb left over from last year sort of out of the supers and that that they'd drawn out and i put that away in the shed and uh, opened it up this year and of course there's wax moths been through it and blah 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 so i cleaned out the worst of it chucked it in the hives it's all clean now so yeah they don't take long once they get working on it do you
1: guys have uh, greater and lesser wax moths or just one or the Correct. other
2: yeah no yeah, both. both yep Yep.
1: You're, you're in a, a warmer climate where you don't actually have too harsh of a winter, right?
2: Yeah, no. we Our bees basically always went out working through winter last year. Um, there was no... Oh, there may have been one or two days where it was raining, but that was more the wet weather than cold. Um, we may get a frost, and I mean a frost. Um, some years, if it's really really cold like you got to wear socks with our thongs um you might get two or three frosts for the year that'll be it
1: you know that means something different up here ken wear socks with your thongs yeah, yeah. here yeah, we call them well we call them we call you them flip-flops thought, yeah. so a thong a thong would be closer
2: to a budget oh yeah. it.
0: <laughs> okay <laughs> <was> saying, really?
2: <laughs> otherwise known as a g-string yeah.
1: Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a little nippy out here, uh, guys. Okay. I gotta go put on my socks. Hang on.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, you guys.
1: Wow. That's you know that that's kind of something. That, it sounds like you're actually very similar to where we are at here in Central Texas, where it is on average um, at minimum about five degrees warmer than their base level flight heat. So they're always out and active and, you know, we'll have maybe a day or two here. And then usually for us, it's at the tail end of our winter. It's usually in February for us. We will have this wicked cold snap that'll come through and last anywhere from three or four days to a week. And that's when we're at the most susceptible to lose colonies due to, you know, either freezing or starvation over winter.
2: Yeah, that's right. We, um, we had it pretty tough here. I had some hives because I didn't get them, I don't know if you remember me saying, but the drought last year really hit us hard. So instead of being able to pull in nectar to create new drawn comb, our bees just decided, oh, well, we're going to swarm. We've filled our cavity. We've used up our space. We're going to swarm. Like to get a nuke that wants to swarm after a week and a half, that's just craziness. Yeah, and and you kept splitting. (laughs) That's right. And then you'd you'd split the split within a month, you know, like what the hell? Um, we ended hmm. up having a few colonies go through winter that were literally three or four frames of brood and one frame of honey.
1: Oh wow, and but that, they
2: made it. That one that they made it. That one frame of honey was probably just a solid four-inch arc across the top. It wasn't even a full frame. Oh wow. So that's how mild yeah. our winter's really are um our winters are probably more akin to your fall in temperature you know so like we never see snow here it will we, never happen We rarely
1: do um yeah. literally once in a blue yeah. moon we'll we'll see snow and Maybe if, we, if it does it's literally gone by noon of that same day
2: yeah that's right stanthorpe is most likely to get snow in queensland and it's about uh, 150 kilometers from here, southwest up in the ranges, and it will never have snow all day. It's gone by lunchtime the same, so
1: yeah,
2: yeah, it's it's crazy. But then you can also get you know, you can get some savage cold westerly winds come through, and uh, they can they can do some damage too. But once again, it's just wind if it's not blowing in the opening of your hive, you're pretty much right. So
1: what is, so where are you guys at in your season?
2: Hang on one at a time.
1: Yeah. Guy, when we first can, you got (laughs) to (laughs) wait.
2: When, uh, where, where are
1: you guys at in your season right now? Are you coming out of spring or are you already starting summer?
2: Oh, no, we're, we're starting summer now. We, um, we regularly get 30 degree plus days Celsius here. um, right now yesterday was a lovely hot day a few clouds today it's raining and it's quite cool Tomorrow's meant to be back cloudy and sunny warm so we're coming into summer we're getting our summer storms afternoon storms come through with hail and all sorts of ferocious winds and so forth but yeah we're in for the hot part now so this storm rain we had a storm here just before i went to work last time which was sort of a whir, what was that nearly two weeks ago we had three inches of rain the next day we had another couple inches so all that rain is now making everything flower and go crazy which is good but i have no bees here right now at the house so <laughs> you're gonna
1: you're gonna have to go get your <laughs> willy bean rain gauge
2: <laughs> that's right that's right So. Uh, So, Ken,
1: to convert for you there, 30 degrees Celsius would be about 86 Fahrenheit, Mm -hmm. which is, that's actually for us, that is kind of our uh, mid-spring,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: that's kind of our mid-spring temperature for us, and then our summer temperatures are, uh, they're up there. Um, Let me me put it in here and do a conversion for you real quick and see. We're going to hit 80s tomorrow, but then Monday we're in the
0: 70s again for the lows, our highs. Yeah. With that front coming in.
2: We tend to just have nice cool y'all's weather or comes, we have summer.
0: Yeah, Celsius y'all's is so weird. fronts come in from the south?
2: <laughs> For us. <laughs> yeah, do y'all yeah.
0: fronts come in from the south, like cold front? Um,
2: no, nah, um, the southwest, yeah, we do get cold fronts come across. They, they. We've had two good ones of them last winter, yeah. You so
1: know, he's literally yeah, just basing just, that on upside down,
2: right? He's like, yeah. it's north up here, yeah. so it must be south down there. <America. laughs> <laughs> Ours come from the
0: north and northwest.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But you guys are weird up there, remember? Some no, of us are. That's
0: because, of, you know, we
2: have yeah. our. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we um, actually up in the the mining pit where I was working there last week was 40 degrees in the pit. And it was not a hot day. So it's going to be interesting come summer. 40 degrees.
1: For you guys, that yep. is hot and that's not a hot day. Yeah.
2: That wasn't a hot day. It was only Crap,
1: That's 104 no. Fahrenheit.
2: Yeah. That Up in the mines, it can get a lot warmer than that because you take all the trees away when they strip mine it. So yeah, you're just in a no heavy in machinery. Day. Yep, That's right.
0: I saw something on either discover or one of the, uh, uh, they were showing where they finding gold and eucalyptus leaves (laughs) and then they they mine that gold in that area
2: okay that's interesting you heard that prep no no i haven't heard the connection between eucalyptus but yeah we can certainly go out in the creek beds and stuff and find gold laying on the surface so to speak um that's quite a big hobby down here actually metal detecting people go out looking
0: what what they were saying is the gold, the eucalyptus goes so deep that it'll, it'll go down there and start and it and it will bring up very small pieces of gold and then gold being poisonous to a tree. It it just stores it in their leaves and that's how they can find if there's gold down there deep in the ground through the eucalyptus leaves. I'm sitting there. Wow. A, I've got a theory a, for you, a, Ken. Place. I've
2: okay. got a theory for you. I think that might be what's happening. Koala bears eat eucalyptus leaves. They're obviously being poisoned by the gold that's traveling up and turning <gasps> into drop bears. Drop
1: bears!
2: <laughs> that must be it, because yep. they yep. are savage.
1: Especially if they're wet. <laughs> yep.
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 Quite vicious-looking uh, little
1: know. monsters. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're, um, we're now starting to think about what we're going to do with the bees. Um, we're sick and tired of me driving all day to get home. So what we're going to do is pack up shop, which we're halfway through doing now and move to central Queensland. I think our bees are going to have a little bit of a car ride very soon. Ooh. Now when
1: you say pack up shop, are you talking about just moving the bees or are you and your wife getting ready to move?
2: Uh, we're packing the house in the shed today actually because it's too wet to work out loading the trailer. So, we're going to uh, continue work and packing the shed and all my toys and tools and so forth. And so, you, you got a couple of months and- right? <laughs> no, no, we, we yeah, <laughs> I'm plan- planning to do it over the next three weeks, which is oh, going to be fun considering it's an eight hour drive. So, Ooh. Yeah, yeah, see, if
1: that was flipped around and that was Ken packing all of his toys, he would be moving sometime maybe in 2022. <laughs>
2: I feel well, you- like it's going to take that long sometimes when I look at what I've got.
1: And that, so once you guys do move, how close is that going to put you to uh, to everything else? Like, it, it, how is that, is that going to just put you closer uh, to the mine?
2: Yeah, it will. Yeah, it'll be three hours instead of 10 hours, so...
1: Gotcha. And then what about the uh, avocados? Is that going to be well, uh, no longer living be, there?
2: No, no, there'll be, the bees will migrate back down next year and go back onto the avocados for a month and then get back in the car or back in the ute and travel back back home again for the rest of the year.
1: All right. Now, nope. what is a ute? Is that your version of a pickup?
2: Yeah, well, you got, once again, <laughs> you guys are weird up there. A ute. I've got what's called a Hilux. So if you know what a Toyota Hilux is. You know what a Toyota is. <laughs> okay. well, It's a four-door ute with a tray on the back of it. Okay. Otherwise known as a Tilly.
0: It's a four-door pickup with a trailer on it. Yeah, that's with what a I was
2: thinking. Tra- with a tray on it. Yeah, just Not a four-door trailer, pickup. a tray, yeah.
1: Oh, so yeah. like a flatbed? Is that what it's you mean like, by a tray? Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's a flatbed, yeah. And uh, utility trailer, no, it's not a trailer, Ken. It's a ute, so the tray becomes part of the ute, and then behind that, I have a trailer. Connects, connects, yeah.
0: It connects
2: then, it's not a gooseneck, it's on a a two inch ball at the back. I'll see. At least that
1: was uh, you know, that that was something that Ken understands there. We got yep. goosenecks yeah, and trailer hitches man. and, and uh, the ball joints in the back. Oh, We're all yeah. good there.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's just the U part. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like what? <laughs> yeah, a what? Yeah, Ute is just a short shortened term for a utility.
1: Oh, see, look, that's a normal term. Utility, utility, utility. vehicle. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we call them utes or Tillies, which is utility. Tilly is another term. Yep. I vote for Tilly. I like Tilly better than you. No, see, over here, it's different. If you you go taller than my Tilly, people will laugh at you.
1: <laughs> I think they're going to laugh anyway.
2: <laughs> I think so. I think
1: so. <laughs> I don't think there's any way out of that one. <laughs> so, how many colonies do you actually have now after all the splits? And did you, well, first uh, off, let me rewind that. Did you lose any over winter?
2: Yeah, I, we bought four nucleuses to start with. And I actually, with all the splits and things that went on, I actually got to the magic 10, but now we're back to six. We lost four, one to robbing, one starved out, and that was the end of that one. And the other two just died out over winter due to a lack of, you know, a lack of food or robbing or whatever at the time. And they were found later, so yeah we're back to six at the moment. So we've got one, it's not a weak colony. It's now got five frames of brood and looking fantastic, but we've got that one weaker colony. And then we've got two that are, one's a monster and one's really good. And then the balance are just in the middle. So I'm hoping that once I condense them down and take them out of their four tower, four box towers, and move them, and then give them a little bit more room and so forth, that they uh, really do some good over the next year.
1: Well, I'm starting to, after almost two years, um, I'm going to make fun of you here, Ken. I'm starting to uh, to be able to better interpret Ken speak, and here over the last couple of weeks, after they've been going through and combining some of the colonies and. Bolstering them up and feeding them and all that. Ken's been telling me quite a lot. Man, we got some really big colonies. We got some really monster colonies. And I have taken that yep. to mean and translate to we finally have normal size colonies. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Well, and yeah.
1: fifty, sixty
0: thousand bees. Yeah. <laughs> Go out there and count yeah. them, and then get back to me on that.
2: <laughs> yeah, just take your yeah. clipboard and sit out the One in, two out. Three in, two out, one in, two out. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That'll oh,
0: keep no, then, the, then there's about, there's about two quarts sitting out there fanning, trying to keep everything cool on the inside. They got they got ran out so they'd cool off inside.
1: Uh, well, see, warm, the, the only problem is that you say, and you said that in a very bizarre way, but you said there's two quarts on the outside fanning, and you assume that means that it's mm-hmm. really packed inside there, but you don't open it. For all you know, there could be five bees inside the hive and oh, everybody's out front no, having a porch party.
2: Well, I took it I as know, two quarters, it. as in two quarters, one. so that means half of them are outside.
1: Oh. Mm. I don't know if that's what he meant, but that does make it sound more clever.
2: I don't think it's what he meant either, but mm. yeah, you know, that's okay. <laughs> it's Ken, we'll let it slide. That's right.
1: <laughs> hey, was that uh, was that yep. your kiddo in the background there?
2: Ah, yes, it was. He was trying to come in the door, which is conveniently locked. <laughs> <laughs> Dad, why
1: won't it yeah. open? Cause
2: I'm trying to keep yeah. you out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. He he's been outside, but they've just come in for lunch. So, ah,
1: yeah,
2: yes. So John, I've got a little bit of a question. Oh, go for it, man. Now on a serious note, do you think nighttime? Would be the best time to take bees from, you know, point A to point B, point B being eight hours later.
1: Yes, if it, especially if your guys' temperatures are already up into the 80, well, sorry, the 30s. (laughs) 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 Damn conversions. Um, I would say yes on that. You would want Mm. to let them go and do their thing all day long, lock them down, and then drive them overnight. Uh, It's going to keep them cooler um you can wind up with situations where colonies will overheat otherwise sometimes if they yep. have to move colonies where they don't have a choice they will put on a screened top and that way the like bees have the airflow coming cover. through kind of yeah. yeah um something they can't mm. chew through or get out of but it allow the uh the air to to move through there and the heat to come out and stuff so but moving them overnight is the best case scenario uh, a lot of the the big organizations and outfits down here will do that. They'll move them, especially when it's, you know, the dead of summer for us, they'll move them overnight. They stop during the day and they'll open it up and let them fly and cool off. And then when they all come back that evening, they lock them back down and then carry on down the road.
2: Yeah. Well, we run the migratory covers, which are double vented on each side. (laughs) And then we also have the mesh uh, stainless steel mesh entrance lock for the one of a better term. So I think airflow would be you know, pretty good, but yeah, it might still be better to leave really early and get there before it gets too too stinking hot.
1: And that would probably be the best bet. And, it, and if you can do it in a straight shot, I mean, I know that's not fun for you and and uh, mm. anybody else involved with that, but the, the best bet would be the straight shot, load them up, just take them, get them there, get it done. You don't necessarily you could kind of do like a halfway point as far as if they're going to literally set at your house, then you might get there and and have to offload them to where you want them to be. But if they're going to be somewhere nearby, you could leave them on the trailer that first day and then move them to the permanent location, like the next day and kind of give yourself a break. Um, but it depends no, on well, how far it is. What, happened, so,
2: what happens is I'll leave home and I don't stop apart from fuel and rest stops. So. Um, it'll be straight from the farm to the house and then they'll be unloaded at the house. So,
1: Yeah, that, that, that sounds like a perfect plan.
2: It's eight hours. So it, it would be an early morning leave at say 3am uh, and then get up there by, you know, whatever eight hours on top of 3am is so
1: yeah um i my my brain doesn't function on math that begins before the nah. sun comes up so i can't help you there
2: copy that i, I can I, <laughs> Ken I can can four five six seven eight nine ten eleven <laughs> o'clock in the morning they'd get there yeah something he, uh, you might
0: want to do once he sets them out john is lay a uh put a piece of brush or oh he don't have something to do that. in front of him to make them no. do the you don't you
2: uh, don't have to do uh, that no, I think nope. they'll know they've been moved. <laughs>
1: yeah. See, that that's the that's the whole thing is doing the obstructing the entrance to force them to do orientation flights and stuff is if you're only moving them a very short distance that's within that mile to two mile okay. range. That's when you got to do that, because okay. otherwise they leave the hive and they go off to do their forage. But when they come home, they know every single landmark. And by default, they go to the original <laughs> spot instead of the new spot. So you do those yeah. obstructions to cause them to reorient. But when you put them in a vehicle and you drive them for five to 10 miles, let alone five to 10 hours, they know yeah. they've been moved mm-hmm. and they immediately reorient. And, and yeah,
2: so you don't okay. have an issue. And I that. bet they're going to be some cranky little ladies. They're going to be mad. You. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yes>. Oh yeah. <laughs> You're going to come and open them for mine. Me, are
0: going to be mad here. Can <laughs> no. can't run I, that fast? I
2: got a bunch. I'm going to have to,
0: <laughs> I'm going to have Good. a bunch. Of, I got to move to Mason, which Mason is, it's bone dry over there. I mean, I've got a Mm. pond over there. I've never seen it dry and it is bone dry and we're going to move a few bees over there this next spring and they're going to hate me. Yeah. there Ain't nothing over there from bees.
2: I was, I was really worried and, and skeptical when we first started talking about the move and I actually found a Facebook. I know Facebook's a devil. <laughs> I found a Facebook, a Facebook group uh, 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 for uh, the local area and I put a post up and sort of introduced myself and asked a question about, you know, are bees kept there all year round? Is that a common thing? Does it work? Is it, oh, I've got to feed my bees for 11 months of the year or, you know, and uh, I actually had a pretty good response. I had two blokes, both work in the mines, which is nothing new for the area. And they both said, yep, we got bees and they're smashing honey away at the moment like nothing else. So it uh, sort of sealed the deal because I didn't want to leave them at the farm where I may only get to look at them once every three or four months wouldn't have been good. So
1: no, you'd, you'd miss all the crucial key moments. And basically you would either come back to a coin toss. They're doing amazing or it's all silk webs
2: from wax moths and they're (laughs) gone. Yep. Yeah, and unfortunately, Graham, my mate, has no interest in putting on a bee suit and even just inspecting. So he's opened the lid a few times and poured a bit of sugar in or whatever is needed. But yeah, <laughs> that's as close as he'll come. Yeah. My partner, she's really good. She, we've got uh, the B Plus app, and she actually comes out and records all the details of what's happening as I'm checking. But my son was not happy with that. He wanted a B-suit, so he's got his B-suit and his little rubber boots, and he's – actually, we can't buy gloves small enough for him, so he's got a pair of snow mitt gloves. So he gets out there in the heat of the day, puts his B-suit on, and away he goes with his little snow gloves, and he loves it.
1: I I wish – so if we could have – if this conversation would have been relevant and it would have in the same time frame, but like a year and a half ago or a year ago, um, we had received a whole shipment of donated items for a youth and sponsorship program, and right. they were little suits and everything else. But I swear to God, I don't even know any kids that their hands could fit yep. inside them tiny little gloves that they had. <laughs> they were the most <laughs> ridiculous things. They either like when you're when you're trying to do beekeeping gloves, it is it's one or the other. If they come yep. from overseas. They either have fingers that are two inches longer than any human finger ever,
2: yep, absolutely. or they're two
1: sizes smaller than they say they are. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, I've, I've got a pair of leather gloves here that are uh, really good, but you just can't feel anything. So I just wear the latex gloves and, yep. you know, I cop a sting yep. quite often in the hands because I'm being clumsy. But yeah, apart from yep. that, you can feel every everything, including the stings. So.
1: Now, are you yeah. are you literally using latex or are you using nitrile?
2: Um, no, I, I'd say they'd be nitrile would be the correct term, but they're quite a bit thicker, but not yeah. thick enough.
1: Yeah, ours, mm-hmm. we've got, they vary from uh, like a three mil all the way up to a nine mil. And, you know, the the smaller ones are more just like, hey, I didn't want to get dye on my hands. And then the the other ones yeah. are like, I'm doing automotive work. And, you know, they don't, yeah. they can take a beating. Yeah. But unfortunately, most of those are black. Um, yeah, sometimes the inside's different it. colors, So I just turn them inside out, <laughs>
2: put them on. Yep. Yeah. Now I've got white ones I've, I've come on to at the moment. So I'm using them and the bees pay no attention at all. Apart from if you happen to squish a bee or, or touch a bee as you're pulling a frame out. So my right middle finger always seems to cop it. So that's the one they get, huh? that's the one between the the two knuckles. They just, uh, yeah. Give me a little kiss there and let me know I'm alive. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. No. I, uh, Ken. Yeah. Ken's, <laughs> Ken's <like> sticking <laughs> his damn chin out. See, Ken, you need a beard, yeah, mate. Then they can't can. sting you. You need a beard. <laughs> Big bushy that's beard. My son says near. he has a beard. Yeah. Although saying that, I did go out one night here and I thought, Oh, I'll just lift the lid of this hive and have a look and see how they're going. And yeah, that was a brain fart if <laughs> I've ever had one because all of a sudden out they came. And I and into your beard. And <laughs> I turned around and hightailed it and one went straight into my beard. And I'm like, oh no, she got me. <laughs> yeah, got that's me.
1: almost worse is when they're in your hair and they're buzzing yeah. and burrowing. And yeah. it's a frantic oh. race to see who gets to who first. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, I squished her, but she got me just as good. So yeah, mm, mm. it's quite ironic considering when I was have growing ever- up, I actually um, was allergic to bees and used to swell up quite badly, but I'm all good now. Touch wood. There you go. So,
1: yeah. That's uh excellent. have you ever, go ahead, Ken, have you ever used
0: red light at night?
2: No, red I've, light, I've heard about people that do
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. Red light doesn't bother them near as bad as white light.
2: They come to white light. They won't come to that red light.
1: Well, yeah, it's because they can't see the color
2: red. (laughs) I sort of had to think about it when I first got my bees, and I decided, well, I'll do beekeeping through the day, and then as soon as it gets dark, I'll (laughs) leave them alone because when it gets dark, I usually have a rum, and I didn't want to be going near the bees (laughs) after I'd had a rum. It's probably not a bad (laughs) idea. That's their time now. I'll leave them alone. So.
1: Yeah, that's, that's yeah. probably a smart plan on that one. Um, they actually, so they don't see the color red, which is why they don't uh, affect the red light, Ken. You can shine that, in, and, and it's kind of irrelevant to them.
2: Yeah. No, it's always interesting. I, I've i had a, a fellow beekeeper tell me, you know, if you want to go out and check them at night or do anything, yeah, always use your your red light. So I just mm-hmm. don't tend to yeah, there's... do much with them, so...
1: There's some, there's a lot of removal people that will do the removal after dark and they'll use red lights. Uh, if you're up in an attic and you can do a red light, that actually works really well too, because it's, you know, you need to be able to see and you don't want to draw them all to the light itself. Yeah. And if you're, if you're using a high intensity, high powered light, you're just going to barbecue them because they're going to fly to the light and then burn to a crisp. <laughs> so it does actually help to go through and do that. Um, yeah. Hey, we had somebody else join. Hell uh al is on and uh from victoria
2: i'm kind of glad he can't see my pink shirt
1: <laughs> i have no i have no comment about well, that but you did we'll post it on facebook though so everybody can see it now uh, i'm sorry the cat's out of the bag you know <laughs> you put it out there in fact i think jacob has already commented on it so you know you're 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 done here in the states they've already seen you in your pink shirt
2: oh dear
1: Um, All right. So, so to, to backtrack here a little bit, you have now, you've basically been uh, successfully doing beekeeping for an entire season, right? For a whole year. You've, you started right about this time or maybe a little bit later last year. Yeah.
2: Um, Just towards the end of November last year. Yeah.
1: Okay. So you're, you're almost there. So what would you say um, pros and cons? What is the, your favorite thing about it and uh, what is maybe like the biggest thing you've learned from it?
2: The biggest thing for me is the relaxation and I'm trying to think of the right word. Um, the feeling I get just opening the hive and, and sticking my head in there and having a, having a bit of time, just watching the bees, seeing what they're doing, how they're doing it. It's therapeutic. That's a good, that that is a yeah. perfect
1: word right there. It's, Therapeutic. It's, it's very zen. It's very, very relaxing.
2: relaxing. Yeah, definitely. And for me, like I go away for work and I do 12 and a half hours work every day for seven days. I have to get up at this time because I have to catch the bus at this time. And then I get back from work at this time and I have to go and get food and I have to get ready for the next day and everything. So for seven days, I'm just chaos. So to come home the first thing i like to do is go check on the bees and have a, a bit of a calm down bit of a wind down so it's um it's good yeah although i'm still i waiting can actually understand that part of it
1: oh yeah yeah there's you're not alone there there's plenty of people out there that uh keep bees for a year or two yeah. and they're still waiting on the honey part of it yeah um and it just it just kind of comes and goes with the seasons like this year it was it was so backwards and and just nothing went right for us mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Our spring didn't go the way spring should have. Our summer didn't go the way it should have. Our fall didn't go the way that it should have. We didn't get we got rain when we normally don't, and then we didn't get rain when we should have. Um, it was just really kind of all helter skelter, and we ended up having less. So we had less honey this year than we did last year, but at the same time. I still have hives with honey on them that I never even went out and harvested because I just didn't get around to it with everything else going on. Yeah. And then we, with having the less honey coming in, then technically I should be, you know, where I don't have a surplus, but I ended up having a surplus because all of our restaurants here shut down. Yeah. And three of my biggest, you know, distribution points are to a restaurant, a cafe and a little like a souvenir shop. And so I ended up actually having more excess honey than I normally would, even though we got less honey this year than we normally do. So it was very kind of an odd, odd year all the way around there.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's strange and I'm sure it'll come, but yeah, it's just not coming at the moment. Um, We, we do have the big hive at the home at the farm rather it's got about eight frames of honey that they're working on right now. So it's coming. It's just, keeping the patience while we wait. Yeah. So
1: go ahead. We'll type your question, sir. We'll carry on rattling over here while he's, uh, pecking out his, uh, his question here. Oh, okay. So, uh, we, we can take a poll and I can, uh, I can tell you kind of one way from another. So Will's question is, are plastic frames really that bad? Because a lot of Aussies are completely against them. So they're, um, It's really kind of uh, like there's a huge movement towards natural versus man-made. And so the woodenware and the natural wax and everything else, the more natural you can make something, the better and healthier it's going to be for the bees. But in reality, if you're using even a wax foundation, it's not natural because that wax has been exposed to things. It's been imprinted with the shape that we want them to draw the comb in. And we're not letting the bees actually do what they want to do. The plastic frames could be looked at from in a, in a hot environment, are there chemicals that the frames are made out of since how they're not for human consumption, quote unquote, even though they will be containing a food source, are they made with something that when it gets hot could leach out of the plastic and into the wax, into the larva and into the brood, uh, brood and larva is the same thing, man, um, <laughs> into the food. And that is kind of where a lot of that ends up coming from is that, you know, do you want to add that into the colony? But you know, there's a lot of overseas countries will go through and use polystyrene and polyurethane type hive bodies where the whole thing is made out of a version of plastic. Yeah. Um, so I've used both. I've used the solid plastic frames. I never bought, well, hang on correction. um, the regular Langstroth frames that are made of plastic that has the plastic frame and the plastic foundation. And it's all one solid molded piece. I've never bought those myself, but I have inherited, uh, hives that had them. And I have found that every single one of them suckers in our like deep heat of uh, Texas summer will warp. They will actually bow and bend in opposite directions. And it's kind of a pain in the butt. Um, but I have bought plastic frames that are called permacomb, and it's not not the same thing that Ken was talking about earlier this year, where it's the already drawn out, I think they call that Duracomb, um, that was already drawn out, but it was made of a synthetic wax. It's not that. It's literally plastic, and it's drawn out to the depth of what you would want it to be for a honey super. And Basically we only put it the into the honey super. Yeah? Well, sort of, but, it, but it's literally already... Um, They don't have to build anything on it. The only thing they have to do is cap it. Like it's already already got the holes, the channels, everything. Kind of like your flow frames, literally, but the stuff they just don't come apart. And you put it into the hive and the bees just have to pack the nectar in there, cap it, and then they're good to go. And I do have quite a few of those. And um, I love them and I don't think they're made anymore because a gentleman had the patent and the designed for it and had found a manufacturer that would do it and then he decided not to do it anymore and i think somebody else picked it up but it's one of those where you got to get a (laughs) it's almost like a uh i don't even know what they would call it over there for you guys jokingly here we would call it like a tupperware party or something (laughs) where uh you know everybody gets together and like somebody brings in a bunch of crap and they're all like oh this is this much and this is this much but uh, you all had to band together and do a yeah, you, you had to you band together and everybody had to go and buy in bulk to uh, actually get an oil yeah, place. So that's right. Um, but Will, that's that's kind of where it comes back and forth to buddy on that. It's uh, it's really just how do you feel about plastics personally? And you know, do you want them in your life and in your ecosphere? And if uh, if you don't have a problem with them, then people use them. And if you do, then they avoid them. I mean, that's, yeah. that's kind of where it boils down to.
2: I've never bothered with the plastic frames. I I thought about trying to do a frame of drone brood so that I could, you know, enhance the genetics in the area. And yeah, I think I need to learn a little bit more about drone congregation areas and how to strategically place things before I go getting adventurous like that.
1: Yeah. That, um, that is a a huge trick. Uh, if you're if you're purposely trying to populate a drone congregation area, that's the trick. If you're just trying to raise queens and let them be open-mated and you're not trying to flood the congregation area with the genetics you want, then it's not such a big deal. But when it comes into the, the flooding the congregation area with your own genetics, that's where the trick yeah. comes in.
2: So I, I think it would be interesting to learn, but just at the moment, I don't have enough time to learn about that. It is mm. that one gets, I mean, a lot
1: of things in beekeeping are very technical yeah. and that one is definitely at the top of that list. Yeah. Um, Al has uh Al has a comment and a question. So Al's question, he just got two hives and he picked up a swarm. So now he has a total of three and he has found that his hives seem to be avoiding the older dirty comb and going for the newer stuff. And he would like to know if this is our experience. Um, the queen, especially, yes she will move to new fresh comb and she will prefer to lay in that new fresh comb more so than the older nasty stuff. And in a colony in the wild, once that comb gets really nasty and old and dark, if they have the space and the option to move over and build new comb, they will do so. And they will abandon that old dark, nasty stuff and let nature take its course and let all the little critters eat it up and kind of recycle it out of there. So yeah, that is actually a natural thing um, they will utilize a comb a lot of times for two or three years without issue. By the fourth year, it's it's starting to get pretty grungy. By the fifth year, it kind of looks like a Michelin tire um, and then definitely should be gotten rid of at that point.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, how about, uh, you know, Ken? Well, Ken, your comb technically wasn't, quote unquote, old and nasty looking, but they still avoided it because of the chemical that had been used in the aroma to it. The smell.
0: Yeah, they didn't like it. Yeah.
1: And Brett, uh, you haven't got enough wax.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I have to keep everything at the moment just to have enough. Yeah. Go ahead, Ken. Do you have a thought in there?
0: No, I said once they cleaned it up, everything's good now. Yeah. I mean, they use heck out of it.
1: So the second part here for Al is actually an apology to you, Ken. Um, (laughs) We had mentioned this at one other point in time on one of our previous episodes where I said that we had a listener who had – sent us a comment and said that they were very disheartened because Ken is starting to grow up and, uh, you know, put on his big boy B suit and he's not the rambunctious younger free spirited Ken that he used to be. And, uh, so Al is apologizing saying that he was threatening to kidnap <laughs> Ken and drug him. <laughs> it just depends on what kind of drugs you use. Oh, Lord. Oh, dear. We'll just send you to the rehearsal studio, Ken. <laughs> Apparently, you you get plenty enough from there.
2: Oh, that sounds like a wild place.
1: <laughs> All right. So, wild Will country says country. that uh, Victoria has a spring, <laughs> unlike unlucky Brett State. And he says, how often should we be inspecting the hives in late spring? Um, I've been inspecting every seven, seven days. Is that too much? No, that's, that's not too much. Um, in the springtime, whenever everything is... Sorry, moving my chair here. Um, in the springtime, whenever everything is really ramping up and there's a lot of nectar coming in, that is the peak of the building season for the bees. And so, it's good to go. Even if you're just popping the lid to see how much comb they've drawn out and if they're running out of space, quote unquote, for comb, and you need to add your new other box to the top, things like that. It's it's good to be out there, you know, every seven days to check on that. Uh, especially if you're doing any alternative types of beekeeping, like a top bar. Anything where they're building natural comb, you want to make sure that, you know, it stays straight, that they're not getting cross-combed. And, and it can happen very, very quickly and get out of control when they're really, you know, banging it out. My colonies, when they're in the, the maddest part of their peak nectar flow, the colonies at its peak size, they can build out an entire box of comb in less than a week. So going out there and checking them and being like, oh, it's time for another box or it's time for another box or nope, they haven't done it. You know, there's definitely nothing wrong with that. Now, you don't necessarily need to go through it all the way to the bottom and look for the queen every single time when you're in the peak of your nectar flow, because that will kind of disrupt what they're doing. But you do want to stay on top of it. You want to look for any signs that could indicate that there's trouble. And then you want to go deeper and look for it. But if you pull out, you know, if you've got one box and it's already solid drawn and you pull out a box or a frame and you see that it's got eggs in it. And you've got capped brood and there's no signs of disease, you can quit and close it back up. You don't have to, you know, go on this mad tear to try to find the queen every time or anything like that.
0: They don't have mites
1: over there. Thank God. No, you guys are lucky. Mm. Now, we yeah, did our virtual convention for the Texas Beekeepers Association and we had Dr. Samuel Ramsey on there. And Dr. Ramsey is the individual who actually. Did the research that proved that the mite, the varroa mite, is not feeding on the blood or the hemolith of the bee. It's actually feeding on the fat bodies and the, the vitagellin in there. And he has now switched his research over to the next big bad monster, which is the tropal uh, sorry, tongue tied <laughs> tropal mite. And the tropal mite, he actually has video footage of it. They created these, these artificial glass cells that they could um basically transfer larva into or allow the bees to raise larva in them in a natural environment. But then the camera could see through the side of the glass cell and you could see everything that was going on inside there under the capping. And it was absolutely terrifying because the varroa mite, it can move and it kind of does like a, almost like a horseshoe crab kind of like it'll, it'll turn in a circle and it can, you know, it can scurry around if it needs to, but in the greater scheme of things, it doesn't move that fast. Um, and and if you equate this over to a horror movie, the Varroa mite is the old school walking dead zombies that, you know, they lumber along and they're, they're terrifying and they're going to destroy the world, but they're going to do it at a slow pace. Same coming. Well, then he showed the Tropal mites and those little SOBs haul butt like wow. they scurry and they run quickly and they can run around the edges of the cell and be like five cells over and dive down in a cell. It's like the new version of the zombies where those suckers come running at you in a frantic scream. And you're like, Whoa, 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 whoa. you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> um, it was the second most terrifying thing that I saw today during the presentations. Uh, the first one was a gaping wound in a leg that was big enough. You could stick your hand inside of it. And I wasn't sure I was going to make it through that one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh Yeah. But yeah, so using
1: Manuka honey on that, they were using honey. It wasn't Manuka honey, but they were using honey on the because it was a whole thing about wound treatment with honey. Uh, They showed a guy Mm -hmm. whose leg had been amputated five different times until it was literally so far up that it was his groin area, like there was no more leg, but nothing left on that side. They had to go up so far, and honey is what finally stopped the infection and, and cured it. And then they were able to do a skin graft over it. Uh, the other person, I think it was somewhere on the side of the leg. It kind of looked like somewhere between the buttocks and the thigh area. Uh, there was a huge open wound and I don't know, you know, what had caused it, but they were going through and and actually using honey to to do the treatment on that too. They were packing it in and uh, and then they would allow the dead skin to slough off and clean it out. Um, this just got really gruesome. Mm. (laughs) Sorry.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, when I had those, uh, wounds on my leg, I couldn't get them to heal, couldn't get them to heal. And then we finally got to using medical
2: honey and healed them right up. I actually had a a large splinter go into the knuckle joint of my thumb and it, Uh it just festered and yeah, wouldn't heal for ages. And I managed to get some jelly bush, which is Basically, the Australian version of the Manuka. It's made from the Leptospermum trees. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing about it, there's a, a, a special name for what it does, but I don't know it. But basically, you can take the lid of the jar off, gently turn the jar upside down, and it will not come out. But if you shake oh, good it gosh. and then take the lid off, it'll pour like normal honey. Um, basically when it's in the frame and you try and extract it it won't come out so you have to crush and strain it to get it out but within 2 days of applying this jelly bush honey on my thumb that splinter just popped straight back out and it was healed up within a week and i'd try jelly bush honey i'd tried everything i'd tried antiseptic creams drawing ointments savlon i'd tried Rawley's ointment everything and jelly bush was the only thing that fixed it.
1: That's pretty crazy. I can
0: tell you one thing. We have uh, our buckwheat honey <laughs> tastes <laughs> a hell of a lot nastier than y'all's manuka honey. Uh,
1: I said yeah. that today on the uh, at the, the very last presentation. He was talking about uh, his research on buckwheat. It happened to be Dr. Osterk on that last right. presentation. And he was talking about his research on it and how you know, it is, it is showing higher bioactivity levels and it could be like America's version of Manuka yeah. honey, where we have something right here in our backyard that is highly, um, applicable to go through and use for med- medicinal purposes. And I started laughing and I was like, yo, so we just did this honey tasting and, you know, like we tried Manuka honey and that stuff's kind of gross. And I said, man, we tried buckwheat and that stuff is just nasty. And I said, so my new theory is The worse it tastes, apparently the better medicinally it is for you. (laughs) Well, (laughs) He was laughing so hard he couldn't go there for a minute.
2: The the strange thing is that the jelly bush that I've tried, I've only tried it from one one person that gave it to me, it tastes exactly like the regular honey from the local area that he also sells, but it's much sweeter. So there's some correlation there i'm not sure between how sweet it is and the effects of it working but yeah it was it was really interesting
1: that is yeah there's Uh, there's no telling on that one um what that that could be it could be that kind of like what you were talking about with the avocado orchard where not everything bloomed in in mass to where the bees were solely focused on that so they may have still been bringing in traces of the other local stuff so that it had that same kind of overall flavor but not quite the same consistency and and you know
2: yeah, well, a little bit of changes here and there to it. So I know they were definitely not solely on the avocados because directly above one of the hives was a massive tree, and it was flowering, and the bees were coming straight out of the hive and straight up, straight to the tree. So yeah, <laughs> they definitely were getting multiple sources. But yeah, they,
0: I know we tried uh, some avocado honey. It's kind of it's a dark honey,
1: right? it is avocado your avocado honey is out of everything that we tried that is the closest thing to what we call winter honey Probably. that's about the same consistency yeah, color and taste yeah. of our winter honey down here well
2: hopefully in the next well the next time i go up i'll hopefully be able to at least get one frame and i'll call it avocado honey even though it might have a bit of other stuff in it but I'll extract that out and and we'll have a look and see and I might have to send you a photo of it and you can compare it.
1: Yeah, the uh, the mean. pictures I think that we posted online on uh, Instagram and Facebook, the I did label those I think um, in one of those and you can see that the avocado, I mean, it is just black yep. like you can't see through it.
2: Yeah. No, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what it's like. I've I've tasted the honey from up at the farm before and it it's certainly. Not out of the world, out of this world, so to speak, but it's 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 pretty damn good honey. They do say that your own honey is the best honey you've ever tasted. So, yeah, that's
1: true. Especially the very first one that you ever get, that's the yeah. best stuff in the world.
2: Well, so far, so we've completely only... off the subject. Yeah. No, go ahead with the so uh, far,
1: but then I'm going to come back to avocados. I was just
2: going to say, so far we've only managed two kilos of of honey out of the hives
1: have to pull my damn phone back out again and calculate
2: (laughs) Uh, half a pound no
1: i'm just i'm just kidding um okay so avocado orchards yep now that you are the expert on avocados (laughs) or so i'm gonna say you are um how long does it take for an avocado tree to grow before it reaches maturity and will fruit
2: um a little while they they will fruit early on in their life but some people recommend you pull the fruit off and, and let the tree continue to grow without the stress of bearing fruit. But you're certainly not going to get anything substantial for four or five years. Um, okay. for proper maturity, it's going to be eight to 10 years before the tree is a big tree. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Now what about, how do you sex an avocado tree? Mm-hmm. Cause apparently they have to have a male and a female. <laughs>
2: No, my knowledge on it is the flowers open as one sex for four hours and then they close, and then they open again later in the day as opposite sex. What? That is my understanding, but I could be wrong. Well,
1: I mean, I, I mean that that could very well make sense. There are some pine trees that do that, where the uh, the cone, the pine cone itself, actually opens up and has the sticky stuff on it, and that is the female receptive part. And then higher up on the tree is the mill that then drops the pollen yeah. down, sticks in the cone, and then the 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 sticky substance pulls it into it. So that, yeah. that very well could be true. But um, I will have to, if that's the case, I, I know a gentleman here that's going to be very happy. Uh, <laughs> he had heard that you had to have a male and a female tree. And he was like, well, how the hell do you tell which is which? Nah, <laughs> I well, was like, I
2: don't know, but I can ask. My grandfather had an avocado tree, and it just started to set fruit before he passed away and it was the only avocado tree in the area. So, yeah.
1: Something had to have been going on mm-hmm. there then. Okay. Definitely. Very good to know. Good to know. Wow. Um Well, not to be a party pooper, um, <laughs> but greatly appreciate all of you tuning in and, uh, and chatting with us and Brett, thank you for, uh, for being a good sport and calling uh, in and, and going through and thank chatting with us as me. well.
2: It's been wonderful. Been very good. It's been a pleasure talking yes, to you. Yes, sir. All right. Well, thanks very much, guys. I'm gonna time out and um I look forward oh, to wait. it. wait,
1: hang on, you can't you can't just time out.
2: Can't you uh, time out. you're an oh. official
1: guest on the show, you gotta end it mm-hmm. with a frame theme something, be something.
2: Be good, be kind, be careful. Don't steal all mine, damn it.
1: Come up with your own. Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> be Australian.
0: Oh, ho, ho. Ooh, Don't drink Foster's beer. (laughs) Don't drink
2: Foster's beer. That's right. (laughs) That doesn't have a B in it anywhere. Uh, No, that's good. That's good. I like it. Very good. Thanks, apes, guys. Awesome. Thank you, sir.
0: We appreciate it. Y'all be good, family. Thank y'all so very much, and we appreciate it. And, Brad, it was good talking to y'all and visiting with
2: everybody else. Y'all be good. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. Thank you, sir.
1: Will also adds in there, be humble. Um, that's a good one, especially in uh, in these days. Um, I want to see what this last little thing was here that Al said. Thank you for time, guys. Keep on trucking. Can't wait to see the Trump. <laughs> I can't read the rest of that message on the air. <laughs> All right on. Well, on that note, thank you, gentlemen. Bye. <laughs> be good, everybody.
0: It's time for our guys to buzz off but don't fret the hive jive journey continues with new episodes mondays every month until then you can follow along with the guys on facebook and instagram at the hive jive thanks for listening and be safe out there